Okay, today is September, no. <laughs> Another one bites the dust. Okay, <clears throat> we'll start again. Today is October the 5th, 2010, and it's good to be back. I missed everybody, and we had a very great trip, and I learned a few things. One thing I learned was the Gulf of Mexico is a big place, <laughs> and it can be very rough. We had um, three ports of call, and because we got stuck in the middle of Nicole, we only were able to go to one, which was Cozumel. We did not uh, go to Jamaica, even though we went right to the port, we could see it, but we weren't able to dock. And then we went on to the Grand Cayman Islands, and they had closed the port. So we were on the ship for, what, five days without getting off. And then we were able to disembark at uh, Cozumel. Another thing that I learned is that there's a limit to what you can eat. <laughs> 24 7 open buffet and restaurants and I, we were eating Chateaubriand and uh, lobster and all these other things that uh, you don't normally have the opportunity to eat <laughs> Oh, they have a workout room also. And I spot the, the boat is huge. It holds 3,200 passengers and 1,100 crew. That's 4,300 people. And it's, it's not so bad because that, I don't know the dimensions of that boat, but it's 11 stories high. And it has, um, it has the elevators. When I first walked in, I never knew that a boat looked like an, a hotel. Fancy, very ornate, and it had all these glass elevators going up 10 or 11 floors in, in, a, in a boat. And I thought, wow, this is a floating city right here, or at least a hotel. And, <clears throat> well, I won't tell you all the particulars. Uh, I will tell you this. When Carrie and I got to our part where you're going on board, you give them your card. And we gave them our card, and bells started going off, and I thought, what in the world? And they said, you have to go over here. So I didn't know what was wrong. We went over there, and they said, well, your room has a leak in it. 3,200 rooms, and ours was the one that had a leak in it. So they said, you'll have to wait for a while, see what we can do, see, sort this out. So we went and checked the room out. We knew what number it was, and the, the smell was so bad that people, when they walked down the hall, were literally holding their nose when they went by our room. And we opened the door, and it was, oh, there's no way we could stay there. And so they gave us another room in another part of the uh, ship. And it had a, a big window. You could see out. The, you could see the ocean. It was three days before we figured out we had a refrigerator there. <laughs> uh, it was really a, a, a great time. And oh, and I also learned that people like to gamble. They had a casino on board, and, and just about every time I walked by there, it was 
loaded to the gills. There are people, it, it was a, what I would call a large one. I mean, it took up a big portion of the ship, and most time you couldn't even walk through there hardly. And that was one bad part was the smokers were there, and Carrie would hold her mouth like this and run through there because the smoke was uh, somewhat bad. And I went to one of the comedy clubs. They had things that surprised me. One is that they had um, entertainment. That didn't surprise me. They had entertainment the whole time. But they had uh, comedy, and they had family comedy, and then later on they had adult uh, comedy. And unfortunately, I didn't make it for the family uh, comedy show. I went to the adult one. And when it's, before it started, Carrie had to go down to do something. And it started, and about ten minutes into it, it was so vulgar and so offensive that when I saw her coming to the door, I met her at the door, and I said, well, let's go when I don't stay here. And that place was packed. And I was surprised. That I guess I'm getting naive in my old age, but all the women, everybody were laughing at all this, and I just couldn't get out of there fast enough. So uh, that was something that was um, a little bit surprising. But we had a, a wonderful time, and we had plenty to eat, and we had plenty of opportunity to be patient. Yeah, and, and what? See? Oh, yeah, karaoke, yeah. Uh, we had a little, I don't want to talk about karaoke. <laughs> um so anyway, uh, we appreciate your prayers, especially in that rolling sea. I mean, it was not, it wasn't, we weren't in fear that the ship was going to sink or anything like that, but they did put out the, what they call barf bags. They were the little paper bags by the elevator, and if you were standing at the elevator, you, or you had to kind of keep your feet wide like this because you never know when you would be going like this a little bit. Anyhow, it was a <coughs> very great experience, and I thank the Lord for giving us the opportunity to go. And everyone must have been that we were with. There were ten in our party. Uh, I didn't see any sniping or any bickering or anything like that. It just went really well. <laughs> they hid it from me. Okay. <laughs> they did that when I was at the buffet, no doubt. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, it was just even the buffets aren't like what you get here. I mean, they were most of the dishes I couldn't even pronounce, and they didn't have a dessert tray. They had a whole section just for dessert. And when I say dessert, I'm talking about fancy French uh, pastries and uh, cheesecakes and really the kind you see in these fancy places. And they just had them buku. I mean, they were just. You'd go up there and say, I'll take one of these, these, one here, here, and all this. <laughs> when we went to order, I found out you could get as many hors d'oeuvres as you wanted. You could get as many desserts as you wanted. I'll say no more. <laughs> uh, but we were thinking about y'all, especially on Sunday mornings around 1030. And I've been told that the Fellows that filled in for me did a good job. And I know that you made them feel welcome and, and at home. So uh, 
Anyhow, it's great to be back, and it's time to get cracking. So if you'll take your Bibles and open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Oh, yeah, I forgot, didn't we? Okay. Let me find it, and then we'll get there. (laughs) I'm back in the buffets. Okay, we'll go to... um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, but let's uh, go through our routine to begin with. Make sure that the decks are cleared, no sins lurking about. Let's rebound. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace provision that is ever present, for your protection, your provision for your plan for us, and for your mighty word. We thank you that you have given us everything that we need in order to understand it and apply it. And we pray that you will help us to concentrate and take in every morsel this evening, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to begin with Verse 15, right after we look at this definition of patience. Because verse 14 says, And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. That's kind of thrown in at the last. And it's like, oh, wow. Be patient. Here's the definition of patience from Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Number one, it says, bearing pains or trials calmly without complaint. That's a biggie. That is difficult, if not impossible, apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to get a lot of commands here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right towards the end. And we're going to see that every one of them means that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit or you're just wasting your time. Let me get change this uh, a little bit here. Okay. Number two, manifesting forbearance under provocation or strain. Manifesting forbearance under provocation or strain. What that really means is you maintain a RMA. If you're in a big terminal and there's 3,000 people there in line and you're pulling your baggage and you're moving about three feet at a time and you're there for two hours, what do you do? You maintain your RMA. Manifesting forbearance under provocation or strain. Number three, not hasty or impetuous. Some of us are in such a rush just in order to survive in the rat race and the fast pace that we're in. I don't know if you found yourself doing this before, but I have on occasion going somewhere or doing something and being in a hurry and then remembering, oh, I don't have to be in a hurry. I don't have to be at a certain place at a certain time. But we can get so much into that mode that it's just become second nature to us that we're always in a hurry. In the old cliche of take time to smell the roses, stop and smell the roses. That is a cliche, but it really is true. When you get in such a rush, 
all the blessings and all the things that God has provided for you can go right past you and you won't even know it because you've got a deadline to meet. You've got to do this. You've got a job. You've got whatever it may be. The fourth definition is steadfast despite opposition, difficulty, or adversity. Steadfastness. You don't vacillate. Steady as she goes, no matter what. And number five, able or willing to bear. There's a difference between being able and being willing. Maybe you're able to bear something, but if you're not willing, it's not going to happen. And I think if you have the willing first, if you're willing, I think you can just about bear anything. I know you can if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's the definition of patience, and that kind of draws to a conclusion the verses that we had up to this point. We just have one more point before we press on to verse 15. It is nearly impossible for some people to be patient apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I said nearly impossible, because there are people out there that have a personality that exudes patience. They're just, they just don't get in a hurry. And they're never uptight. They're, they're never stressed out. They just are easygoing personalities. Even some unbelievers can manage that. That's why I said nearly impossible. But it's not the norm. For most people, being patient apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit is impossible. Remember, patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit according to Galatians 5.22. And, of course, we remember that the fruit of the Spirit is produced by God the Holy Spirit. You cannot produce it on your own. All you can do is be humble, make sure that you're current in your rebound, and He will supply what you cannot supply on your own. Okay, now we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 15. You can either read it in your Bible or you can look up here on the screen. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Now, now, something just came to mind, and I'm going to say it now before I forget it. I meant to tell you before we started. There'll be no Bible class this next Thursday night. I'm going to be at a football reunion that I only get to attend these about once every four or five years see people that I haven't seen in decades. And so I am not going to be here Thursday night. So mark that on your calendar. No Bible class. Um, not, not, I'm, not this coming Thursday, but the following Thursday. The 14th. October the 14th, I will not be here. So we won't have Bible class that night. And I'm sorry to give it to you in the middle of this, but I did remember it then. And if I don't say it now, I might just breeze right past it. Okay, so we take the first phrase, it says, see that no one, and we have the Greek word for see is horao, H-O-R-A-O. It's a verb, and it's the present active imperative. In fact, we're going to have several present active imperatives in a short time. Each verse is going to have a present active imperative, just general things that we are commanded to do. Of course, the present tense would be translated, keep on seeing that no one, imperative mood, it's command. It means to see, perceive with the eyes, look at. It's translated sometimes implying 
not the mere act of seeing, but also the actual perception of some object, thus differing from blepo. Blepo, is <coughs> that is a Greek word for seeing also, but it has more to do with the actual vision of seeing it in a physical sense. And blepo is, is not a real intense observation. Just think of a blep a blip on a radar screen. It's just bloop, you see it, and it's, it's not something that you intently look at, but it has to do with the eyes, whereas harao here has also a strong connotation of perceiving something, understanding something, perception of something. So it means to see, to discern, or to perceive or to attend to. And I think here, probably more than anything, it would be to attend to. Perceive something, a need or whatever, and attend to it. Then it says, uh, see to it that, see that no one repays another. Now, a repay or repays is the Greek word apodidomi, A-P-O-D-I-D-O-M-I. And it's a verb, and it's the aorist active subjunctive. That means that you may, someone may do this and they may not. Aorist tense, point in time. To, and it means to give or to do something necessary in fulfillment of an obligation or an expectation. To rewar reward, recompense, render, whether in a good or bad sense. Here, it's referring to a bad sense. Getting even, recompensing. You notice it says in a fulfillment of an obligation. It is normal for people. This is the standard modus operandi. When someone wrongs you, when they offend you, when they've hurt you in some fashion, it's natural for us to sense, have a sense of obligation that we need to pay them back. They need to pay for what they did. And we take it upon ourselves, nearly as a responsibility, that we take upon ourselves to seek justice and make sure that we get our pound of flesh. That's essentially what this word means. It doesn't always have to do in a negative connotation, but it does here. We know that for what is next. So it says that we don't repay another with evil for evil. The Greek word here for evil is kakos, K-A-K-O-S. It's a noun, a cute, singular, neuter. And it's talking about in a moral sense, meaning wicked, vicious, Bad in heart or conduct and character. Evil, evil things and wickedness. This is the idea of kakos. It's the opposite of patience in retaliation, which the believer is never allowed to engage in. In other words, we just had the command for us to be patient. Now we have the command to, here we see, See to it that no one repays evil for evil. And that's the opposite of patience. You see, if you are enduring, if you are patient, you're not trying to seek revenge. You're not trying to get even with anyone. Another, another biblical term for patience is long-suffering. And there are some people who will not abide any suffering whatsoever from anyone. We met a few of those on the on the cruise. There are just some people that just are. That there's a term they they 
They wear their feelings on their sleeve is, the, is a term that we use. It means that if you do the slightest itsy-bitsy, uh, even if it's an accident, if you accidentally bump into them, they might just turn around and cuss you out. They're not going to let you, anyone get by with anything. That is the opposite of what believers should do. We should be patient and long-suffering. Not only are we not to seek revenge, we are to do good to those who offend us and treat them with unconditional love. That is across the board. It doesn't matter who they are. We must love them unconditionally, which means it is a forgiving, long-suffering, patient attitude towards who? Everyone. That is a tall order. I thought this was interesting. I can't take credit for this. I got this from my human mentor, which was R.B. Thien, Jr., Pastor R.B. Thien. The devil's man repays good with evil. The world's man repays evil with evil. And the Lord man, the Lord's man repays evil with good. You understand that? There are people who are so reprehensible. They are so arrogant and degenerate that even when you do good to them, they're going to repay you with evil. You all know, you've all run into that type of person. That's the devil's man. And then the world's man is who repays evil with evil. Now that's across the board. That's the great majority there. I don't know what the percentages would be, but certainly that world's man would by far be the largest number where people think if someone does evil to me, I'm going to do evil back to them. That's justified in their soul. In their own mind, they are justified in doing it. They are going to even the accounts. That's human viewpoint. And then we have the third one, the large man repays evil with good. And that takes a supernatural power to be able to do that. Now, there are people who are pseudo with regards to this. False. They ingratiate themselves to other people, even if you uh, harm them or offend them in some way. Uh, they'll treat you in a very nice, very forgiving manner, but they have an ulterior motive. They're, they're doing it because there are strings attached. In other words, if you uh, harm someone unintentionally and they say, don't, don't worry about it, it's okay, and they're treating you especially nice, and you think, oh, isn't that nice? Somewhere along the line, if it's human good, it's pseudo, then the strings are attached, and at some point they're going to have an accounting for you to pay up. That's not the way the believer is. The believer does it because we are commanded to do so from our Lord, and our, our whole goal is to obey the Lord and be faithful servants to Him. That is our motivation. Do we get a payoff? Yeah, we get a payoff eventually. I've had people ask me before, is it legitimate to obey God and to do things even though it isn't pleasant, but you do it and your motivation is rewards. Is that a legitimate motivation? And I say, absolutely, yes. That's one reason 
the Bible reveals to us the great rewards and decorations and privileges and opportunities that are going to last forever so that they will be a motivating force in our life. Certainly, they're, 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 that is legitimate. Eventually, that motivation as you mature changes more towards you're doing it in order to please the Lord because you're closer to Him. And the last thing you want to do is displease Him. And that can be a greater motivation than just for the rewards. But the, the doing things, uh, not repaying evil with good, if the only motivation you have at the time is recognition that, well, God has obeyed me to do this. I don't want to do it. I want to strangle this person. But I'm not going to do it because the Lord says I'm not allowed to. I can't even seek justice. I can't even try to get even with this person because the Lord says I am to treat him not like an enemy but as a fellow brethren. And so if that's the only motivation you have is that, well, if I do that eventually the Lord's going to reward me for it, fine. But let me, let me hasten to say that you cannot repay evil with good from your own power. It's not going to happen. If you try to do that, all that's going to happen is you're going to wind up being a hypocrite. It's going to be pseudo. And when you don't have the power to do that, you ask the Lord to give you the power, and He's going to do it. Here's a few verses that go along with that. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Romans 12:19 Never take your own revenge beloved but leave room for the wrath of God for it is written violence is mine excuse me vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord Now I know you've all been in these situations to where in the workplace my workplace or my place where I spent a lot of time was either on the football field or on a construction job. And we all always have breaks. We always have these times, these down times. It might be at the coffee pot. might be uh, just, just a break, whatever it may be. And what is the favorite thing to do while people are on a break? And, you know, at, at work or wherever you are. What is it going to do? It's let's fry somebody. And the, most of the time, you don't get fried when you're there. You only get fried when you're not there. <laughs> people don't always believe that, but if you're around people who are frying other people, your time is coming. It's just not while you are there. And usually, it's the boss. The boss is a SOB, a son of Belial. And everybody jumps on board. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, let me, they stand in line. They can't wait to tell their story. And it's very difficult when, the, when, it, when everything that is said is true and the boss richly deserves all the epithets and the cursing that goes towards his direction. And you, it's very difficult for you to just withdraw whatever it takes. Even if it means get, if you're in a place where that's going on, sometimes the best thing to do is just physically remove yourself from there. Take a break in another place. Just don't be a part of that because you know that goes on. I bet everyone here can relate to what I'm saying. They can, they can remember places 
where they were among people and all of them were jumping on board and they were getting revenge, only it was in a verbal sense. Sometimes it even gets worse. It's, it, 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 you have conspiracies where we're going to get back at the boss by some way. We'll, we'll lay down on the job or we'll, we'll do something. And you, you don't want to get into any of that because vengeance, revenge, even violence at times, is the Lord's business, not ours. And the whole part, what our part is on, in all this is to trust the Lord that He's going to take care of it. And so many times, the reason that people don't leave it in the Lord's hands is because they really don't believe He's going to take care of it. And they think that they can do a better job than He can. And so what do they do? They get up and let's get revenge. And when they do that, all of the wrath that God could have poured on this person if you would have just left it in his hands now changes course and now it's directed towards you. That's what happens. Knowing that and believing that will help you remember not to get on board of seeking revenge. And most of the time people don't seek revenge directly at the person. They go behind their back and they'll go to this person and this person and other people and they'll do everything they can in order to turn everyone against this person. And sometimes what is said may be true. Now, this person might be a rat. And in our own human judgment, we think he deserves it and I am justified in bringing that person down because of what they did to me or what they said about me, whatever it may be. But as Christians, we never have that latitude. God does not give us that latitude. He says... Leave it in my hands. I will take care of it. Years ago when Carrie and I had this log home building over here and we were way into uh, the log home business, I mean, we were really cooking. And I had an opportunity to go to another uh, person. I had a big contract. I didn't have time to be the general contractor. And I asked a general contractor in Brenham, if he would take on this job. And he said that he would, and we had a certain agreement, and wound up that he got, he got the job as the general contractor on this, on this very large job. One of the conditions was that he would never go into the log home business and that he would, uh, there was a referral fee involved. And as it turned out, Never got the referral fee. And the next thing I heard, he was setting up a log home company here in Brennan. Everything, in other words, nothing but lies and duplicity did we get. So the next thing you know, sure enough, he had a, a log home company here in Brennan. And his co the customers would come from his location and come to our location. And they would, they'd come in the ha uh, into the log home model and they would say, a few incidental niceties. And then he said, you know, there's another log home place here in Brown. I said, yeah, we're aware of that. He said, well, we just came from there. And he said, y'all have a sorry product and that y'all are everything but evil. I mean, they just go down this whole laundry list of what they were saying about us over here in this other log home company. And my response, and of course, Carrie's response, and I taught the, the sales staff to do the same thing. You never say anything of a negative nature towards another log home company, period. And when they would say that, they would t tell us all the horrendous things that they were saying about us, and then they would say, what do you have to say? And we would simply say, well, you see our product here. You're talking to, to us. 
make your own decision. And that's all we would say. And I was amazed at how many people wound up buying from us because they could see the integrity and they could see the character. And all we were really doing was applying doctrine. The long story short is that we placed this person in God's hands because it was obvious to us that uh, this was, none of this was deserved. And within a year, that man not only lost his log home business, he had to move out of Brenham. And I think there was a divorce. A lot of very unpleasant things happened to this person. And neither Carrie or I, either one rejoiced over it. We were more in awe of God and His power and His faithfulness. Because on that one, we did what we were supposed to do, and that is leave it in the Lord's hands. So that's one illustration that I can give you, that it is true. And this is why God says, leave it with me. We don't ever have the right to seek vengeance, because that's God's territory. And that will save you a lot of wear and tear. And so when we're looking at this verse where it says, See that no one repays another with evil for evil. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to alert you. Not only should you ever get involved in that, if you see another believer doing that, you need to be very humble and yet loving and go to that person and explain to them without being haughty or arrogant or that you're any better than they are and explain to them the best thing you can do in this situation is leave it alone. Just leave it in the Lord's hands. Put it in the supreme court of heaven and you will always get justice there. Always. And that's what, I, what I'm explaining to you is that God is faithful and He will take care of it. Now, you may not always see how God takes care of it. In this particular instance that I was talking about, indeed, we were uh, able to see the consequences of someone going against God's children, those children, His children, obeying Him and putting it in His hands and letting Him take care of it. And the Lord allowed us to see the devastating consequences of those who would be so audacious as to offend one of His children but you have to leave it in His hands. When you try to seek revenge yourself, you take it out of His hands, and the wrath that would be directed toward them is directed toward you. And that is, you don't want that to happen. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now this is an Old Testament verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Colossians 3, verse 13, we say that we in the church age have a higher standard. We are not to take vengeance, that's for sure, but we are not to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to love our neighbor the way that Christ loved us. And that is a much higher standard. And we are to forgive in the same fashion that Christ forgives us. Proverbs twenty four twenty nine, Do not say, Thus I shall do to him as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. 
This is what we are not to say. And yet that is what is crying out within our old sin nature. Our old sin nature is cranked up to the max when we are tempted to seek revenge and get even with people. It's a very powerful force. And yet it is not as powerful as the filling of the Holy Spirit. And He will... You know, one thing about revenge, this is something that some, sometimes people don't think about. It takes time. It takes energy. Sometimes it takes funds. It takes money. It takes planning, strategy. It takes a lot of effort to get revenge. Why do it? Leave it in the Lord's hands and you can just sit back and relax. It is the arrogance and hatefulness and bitterness and the vindictiveness in all of us that, pro- that just produces the poison that prompts us and motivates us to get even, and it's a big effort that we don't even need. I don't know about you. Anything to make my life less complicated, less things to do, I am for it. So if nothing else, just sit back and let the Lord do the driving. Let Him take care of it. Romans 12:1. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that can be done. I'm going to show you an illustration. I want you all to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25, the David series. I'm going to get, give you an illustration. We're going to look at this, uh, putting this into practice. I'll give you a little background uh, before we get to verse uh, 21. There was a man named Nabal, and he was married to a very wonderful wife by the name of Abigail. And Nabal was the worst of the worst. And David was running from Saul, and he was hiding out, and he had a substantial number of men who were following him. And Nabal, Nabal, uh, excuse me, Nabal was a wealthy man. I think it says he had 3,000 sheep and about 1,000 goats. And David went and protected the shepherds that worked for Nabal so that he could have a a huge harvest. The shepherds didn't have to worry about protecting the sheep from wild animals or thieves or anything else because David and his men were taking care of this. And he had agreement with Nabal, Nabal to that he would provide this service and then he would pay David for that service. So when it came time for the harvest, after uh, having a huge harvest, because, again, David took care of the protection of the shepherds and the sheep, David sent ten men to Nabal and said, okay, he was very hum- they were very humble to him, very gracious, and essentially was saying, okay, now it's time for us to be paid. And Nabal acted like he didn't even know who David was and why should he pay uh, these men that he didn't even know and, and, and insulted them. So they came back to David and reported what happened. That after all this time that David produced uh, or provided this service for this man that was extremely wealthy, it wasn't that he didn't have the money to do it, and he was just simply thought that he could brush David aside and not pay him for the work that he had done. 
Now, that's the prelude to verse 21. That's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 21. Now, David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. Underline that. Remember what we just went over? What kind of man is this? This is the devil's man. This is a man that is exceedingly evil. Because David provided a service that was good for him, and this man returned evil for the good that David had provided him. So that's one of the examples right there. He returned me evil for good. Then in verse 22, May God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male or any, any who belong to him. In other words, David was swearing an oath here. David was mad, to say the least, that he was treated this way or that his, his emissaries, the ten men that he sent to Nabal, were so scorned and insulted. And so he has every intention to take his men. And we're going to see he has 400 men. And he was on his way to go wipe out every male, including Nabal, in order to even the score. By the way, verse 21, you want to put a parenthesis there, open parenthesis, and close it at the end of verse 22 because that is parenthetical in the, in the scenario here. Now, what happened? I've I got to fill in a little more before we continue with verse 23. When, when the ten men that were sent from David to Nabal was sent, when they were sent, Abigail, Nabal's wife, knew nothing about it. But then she had heard someone, the, the, the news leaked out that David was on his way to wipe out everyone, all, at least all the males in this family. So she very hastily, very quickly, she got together a party of, of people, had some uh, mules or donkeys there, and got... Several, uh, all these loaves of bread and figs. and In other words, she got what she could to take to David as payment. That has already taken place. Now, this, the next verse that we're going to see is when she met him on the road. This is verse 23. When, Ab when Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said... On me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. So you can see the humility here. She's taking blame. That wasn't her fault. She didn't know what had happened. But she's taking blame for it. I want you to underline my Lord here. Because you're going to see this. In eight verses, she says my Lord to David 14 times. Fourteen times in eight verses, she calls him my Lord. She is the epitome of feminine, femininity and humility. And by the way, uh, I don't know if, it's, if we're going to read it, but I know in this, this section it does say that she was not hard on the eyes either. She was beautiful. 
So, uh, verse 25. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Now, Nabal in Hebrew means fool. Fool, F-O-O-L. That's what Nabal means. And, he, and what she's saying is his name, he's just like his name. He's a fool. And he really was. I mean, here you have David with 400 just very elite group that were warriors, and he's not going to pay them, and he's going to insult them. Oh, that's not too bright. So she says, so as his name is, so is he. And then he says, Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Now, I want you to underline folly, because folly is a Hebrew word, Nabalah. N-E-B-A-L-A-H. It's N-E-B-A-L. Excuse me. Yeah, it is. It's an E. It's N-E-B-A-L-A-H. And it's feminine. And what she's saying here is feminine for a fool. She's calling herself a fool. See, she's, when she says Nabal is his name and folly is with him, who was with him? She was. She's saying, I was a fool for marrying him. That's what she's saying here. And you see that in the Hebrew, in folly is Nabala, meaning feminine for fool. She was a fool for marrying him. You never see that in English, but I thought I'd pass that along. So she says, Nabal is his name and folly is with him. That would be herself. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. In other words, he, she's saying, I, didn't, I knew nothing about these men who came. They, they just, I found out later. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, now there's a lot of lords in here. My Lord is referring to David. And when she says, as the Lord lives, she's talking about Yahweh. She's talking about Jesus Christ. So as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then, now then, let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. That means untouched by David. Now notice she says that it's the Lord who has restrained you. She took the initiative to go down there and do this, but she recognizes the motivation came from the Lord. It's the Lord who is protecting David from his own bad decision using this woman to come down and restrain him from doing something that he would regret later. Verse 27. And now let this gift which, was, which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men and... Uh, the young men who accompany my Lord. In other words, she brought a bunch of loaves of bread and honey and figs. She, was, she got this from her husband, and he knew nothing about it. But she was doing it in order to be righteous and just because she knew that her husband had cheated David. So she got these provisions together in order to pay David in the best way that she knew how. And then she says, verse 28, Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make 
for my Lord an enduring house, underlying house. Remember house? Remember when we went through this not long ago? We were looking at David was going to build... Oh, I forgot. That wasn't here. That was at Austin Bible Church. I, I, I gave a, a, a talk at Austin Bible Church and it had to do with the temple and the tabernacle and how because David had, had a permanent house, he had a castle, and he looked over and he saw the tabernacle that the Lord's house was still a tent. And he said, far be it that I live in a, in a house of stone and the Lord still has a tent. He says, I will build the Lord a house. Talking about a temple. Well, we know that Nathan came along and said, the Lord told Nathan to go to David and say, David, you're not going to build me a house, but you're son will build me a house, which was Solomon, which is the temple. But the Lord said, I'm going to build you a house. And the word house here also can mean dynasty. And this is what it means here. The Lord didn't build David a house. He already had a house. It means a dynasty, which he did. And this is the Davidic covenant. One of the, one of the titles of Jesus Christ is the, is the son of David which is the dynasty, and it's a ruling dynasty. So there's a lot to this word. There's a lot going on here. And I'm tempted to rush through it, but I'm not. We might not finish it tonight, but I'm going to go as far as I can. Yes. Yes, she knew who she, as we'll go through here, she recognized, she already knew that the Lord had promised him the throne. And she's saying, don't ruin it. Don't. Do something you're going to regret by seeking your own revenge. Put it in the Lord's hands. He'll take care of it. And she is the most, oh, she is an extremely beautiful woman on the inside. And the Bible says on the outside also. But what really counts is the inner beauty, the total humility that she is demonstrating here. Taking full responsibility, even though it was her husband that was really responsible, it was still from her house and she is doing everything she can to make it right. She knew doctrine. She knew that David had been anointed for the next to be the ruler of Israel. And she's saying, don't blow it. So again, in verse 28, Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. That house is that dynasty that God had. This is the Davidic covenant. It's not going to be fulfilled until Jesus Christ returns at the second advent. But it already had been promised, and she knew about it. It says, so, uh, that my Lord, uh, the Lord, that would be Jesus Christ, will certainly make for my Lord, which is David, an enduring house, which is a dynasty, because my Lord, which would be David, is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you all your days. She was trying to save him from himself from doing something impulsive and going and seeking revenge when she knew, leave it in the Lord's hands. He will take care of it for you. And this is a great illustration of what we're studying. Verse 29. And should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord, yet the life, that should be instead of then, it should be yet, yet the life of my Lord shall be bound to the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. Now, that's just a nice way of saying you're bundled up. You're, you're secure. 
Even if your enemies come after you, you're in the bundle of those who are living. The Lord isn't going to allow anyone to break that bundle and get to you. But she says, but the lives of your enemies he will sling out from the hollow of a sling. In other words, those who go against you are going to be thrown out just like a stone from a sling. You know how they would swing the sling. Verse 30. And it shall come about when the Lord shall do for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you. See, she knows about the, uh, all the promises, the Davidic covenant. And where you see shall, it should be has. And has appointed, and has appointed you ruler over Israel. See, she's saying she knows this. She knows that David is the Lord's anointed. He is to be the next king, and she doesn't want him to ruin it. Verse 31, that this will not cause or become a grief. That would mean a stumbling block of a troubled heart to my Lord. In other words, she didn't want him to regret this both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord shall deal with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Now, this is important to understand also. When she says, when the Lord shall deal with my Lord, she's saying when Christ deals with you, in other words, when you come into your kingdom, whenever you take over the reins of Israel, once Saul dies, David is going to be the king over Israel, she's saying when, you do, when that happens, remember your maidservant. But she's not saying I want remuneration for helping and helping you out. That's not what she means. What she means is remember the advice that I'm giving you. That's what she means. There is not an arrogant bone in her body here. She is saying when you come into your... When the, when, that's what she means when she says when the Lord Christ shall deal with my Lord, when He puts you on the throne... Then remember your maidservant. But she didn't want anything. She's just saying, remember this advice. Don't, when you become king, don't seek your own revenge. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. Who is, who is David giving the credit to? The Lord. Because the Lord sent this woman to help David not make a, a bad mistake by taking revenge himself. And blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. He recognizes he's, he's got it. Nevertheless, that the Lord God of Israel lives, who has... Restrain me from harming you unless you had come quickly to meet me. Surely there would not have been left to Nabal even the morning light as much as one male. In other words, he said, if you hadn't stopped me, we would have annihilated them. We would have wiped them off. So David received from her hand what she had brought, brought him, and he said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. 
And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. She's very smart. She knew, why am I going to try to give information to a drunk? He's not even going to remember it in the morning. And so, verse 37, but, but it came about in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal that his wife told him these things and his heart died within him so that he became as stone. What happened was he had a stroke on the spot. She told him what, he had, what she had done and he's such a tightwad, he's such an evil person, he was overcome by a stroke right then. Verse 38. And about ten days later it happened that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. See what happens when you leave it in the Lord's hand? Verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant, that would be David, from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. David recognized this. Then David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of Nabal came to Abigail at Carmel, this isn't Mount Carmel, this is another Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. And she arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a maid. The word there, maid, is more is slave. To wash the feet of my Lord's servants. That's how humble she is. She's saying, I am so overwhelmed. She bowed herself to the ground and says, I am just a slave and I am to wash not David's feet, but his servant's feet. Verse 42, Then Abigail quickly arose and rode on a donkey. Look, quickly. She didn't wait. Arose and rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. That is what happens when you wait on the Lord when you don't take your own vengeance. We are out of time. We'll pick up this study next time, which will be this Thursday. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for Your great and mighty Word that straightens us out. And every time that we want to seek revenge and gossip or malign or harm others, we need to remember that that is Your affair. We don't try to even the score or seek justice. You are the God of justice. We are to trust You to take care of it and stay out of it. And we're so thankful that You have given us this admonition so that we can stay out of the way of vengeance, Your vengeance. We want Your blessing. And now we know how to get it at least one way. So we thank You for that, for Your grace provision of Your Word. Help us to remember these things. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.